Welcome to the Bible Studies for Life adult podcast. This podcast is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. And Chris, there is going to be one truth we're going to focus on in this podcast, and that's this. Confession and repentance keep us close to God. Hey, Lynn, great to be with you. Uh, It's our pleasure to have Michael Kelly with us. Michael, good to see you today. Michael is the writer for the Daily Discipleship Guide and uh, did a wonderful job, former Lifeway employee. We go way back together. Uh, Currently, the uh, executive director of the Nashville Baptist Association. Michael, good to see you, man. Good to see you guys, too. Thanks for having me on. Some of y'all have used the Daily Establishment Guide for quite a while, but you'll notice with our fall issue that it has been quite different. Uh, we've made some, I think, some make strong changes to it. And Michael uh, was one of the writers we wanted to pick to help us make this transition and has just done an excellent job doing that. And doing it also, Michael, with uh, what I think is not necessarily an easy book to jump into, which is uh, these six sessions coming out of the book in Daniel. Uh, it, it isn't necessarily easy, um, especially when you get a little bit further into Daniel. I mean, there's some stories uh, from the book of Daniel that are, are so prolific and so often told. So you have, of course, Daniel in the lion's den and you have Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Um, but in this particular session, it's it's really a text that uh, that we don't often think about or talk about. And uh, there's some really interesting stuff here, uh, particularly as it relates to the nature of confession and what that means. Yes. As you said, we've, we typically re- focus on the stories, the events, but moving into this session, and we'll do it also in the next, next session, uh, we're looking at uh, like the prayers and, and some things that Daniel said. Uh, we're going to be in Daniel 9 uh, for our, our passage today as we talk about confession and repentance and, and our need for it. Uh, we're going to jump into verse, uh, just jump into verse 3, but uh, Chris, could you give us a little bit of context for Daniel 9? The context for this passage is at the end of Daniel's uh, life. He is, it, it is after the Persians, the, uh, Cyrus the Great has uh, come into play. Darius is the ruler at the time of, uh, of the kingdom. And uh, it's significant to me. So he tells us the first year in the reign of, of uh, Darius. But then he also gives us the context that he had available to him the words of the prophet of Jer- prophet Jeremiah, and so that helps us from a biblical perspective to establish uh, the time frame of of Jeremiah and of of Daniel. We have that, that also in Ezekiel where they make reference to uh, to each other, and he's he's making reference specifically to. Uh, the prophecy of Daniel that this exile that the Jewish people were experiencing would last for 70 years. And so Daniel is essentially doing the math. He said, you know, I've, I've been, I've been away from here for 65 years. So I think we're closing in on <laughs> this, uh, this time frame that uh, Jeremiah talked about. So what he does as he comes to this realization, it just draws him to pray. 
Let me begin reading in verse three. I just want to read first four verses, and then we're going to stop. Uh, Daniel said, so I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and confessed, ah, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. We have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, leaders, ancestors, and all the people of the land. I find it fascinating that Daniel is this righteous man, and everything we see about him in the book of Daniel, he's just this top top-notch guy. Yet here he is confessing this sin. Of course, it's not he he's throwing himself under the bus in a sense with with everybody else that we have sinned. So leading up to Daniel's confession, we see that he does this with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. Michael, will you talk tell us a little bit about the significance of uh, these terms to help us understand better what um uh, the posture is that Daniel has as he begins this prayer. Yeah. You know, when you, when you see things like fasting and sackcloth and ashes referred to in the Bible, they're, they're generally a sign of mourning and sorrow and, and grief. So the fact that Daniel does this, I think just adds a level of seriousness to the nature of his confession. It, it's not sort of a casual, yeah, I'm sure that everybody's done a few wrong things, but he, he feels it deeply. Daniel feels it deeply. And Lynn, to your earlier point, he doesn't just feel it deeply from his own standpoint. He feels it almost on behalf collectively of, of the entire nation. Now, part of the reason that he feels it so deeply is because, I mean, he's, he may be 80 years old at this point and he's lived a good chunk of his life in captivity He's one of the only people, one of the only people potentially that knows what it's like to live in both the promised land and to live in Babylonian. So he's for for decades has had a foot in both of these worlds. And he's come to the realization uh, uh, that the reason that they are in exile is not because God was unfair or or not because the the nation was a a victim of, of some you know, conflagration of unfortunate circumstances. It is because they sinned. The Lord told them what would happen to them. And time and time again, they disregarded his word. And so the Lord brought judgment on his, on his people. So there's no attempt in Daniel at all to, to justify the actions of Israel, to play down what they've done or to call into question the discipline that the Lord has has brought about, even though it's been incredibly painful for all of these for all these decades, I, maybe to that same point, you you might think that because Daniel has lived so long in a land far from home and been so acutely aware of the exile and everything that has been lost, that there might be a sense of bitterness about him at this point in his life. You know, almost looking back. And, and, and thinking to himself, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, uh, I was a little bit softer on this and I could sort of understand the perspective of the Lord. But man, enough is enough. Enough is enough. It's about time. Let's get. And there's just not that at all. There is a humble um, 
mourning, sad recognition of the reality of where he and the people are and a, a real desire to see the, the mercy of the Lord come to pass. It's amazing to me that Daniel, of all people, what we know about him from what we've read up to this point is how righteous he is and how committed he is to following the Lord and keeping the law and every aspect of it, of standing for uh, for God in all things, taking on this, this idea of, of corporate sin. We have sinned. We, he, he sees himself as um, a part of this. And, and every time I read this passage, it just blows my mind that, that he uses that kind of language. Uh, it does to me, too. And I think that there's something really convicting about that uh, from our standpoint. We are people. I think it's part of our human nature. That we're just people of the measuring stick. That that we want we want to hold ourselves up against other people because we want something to hang on to to say, well, at least I'm not that. I may not be perfect, but at least I'm not I'm not that guy. The problem with us doing that is that that like we're measuring ourselves against the wrong wall, you know. We, we are the measurement that we're against is the holiness and the righteousness of God, regardless of how everybody else performs. So, so Daniel has has evidently come to the point where where he doesn't feel compelled to do that anymore. He's he's not concerned with comparing himself to other people. He's fully aware of his own shortcomings, the fact that in that he is a sinner and he is among a people who are sinful. Um, another biblical example, I mean, I I think a lot of the same things that we're saying about Daniel that we could also say about Isaiah, the prophet, you know, from all standpoints, what we read in scripture, Isaiah walked with the Lord, heard the word of the Lord, proclaimed the word of the Lord faithfully. And yet Isaiah chapter six, when Isaiah comes face to face with the true wall against he is, which he has measured, he has he has no element of his own righteousness to hang on to anymore. And instead he falls to the ground and says, woe is me for I'm a, a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. When confronted with the, the reality of the righteousness and the holiness of, of God, it strips us of any preconceived ideas we have about our own righteous standing. We just we don't have anything left at that moment accept confession of the reality of our own sin. Uh, let me chase that for just a moment, Michael, because that, that gets to the, the heart of our study, which is that confession and repentance are what we need to keep us close to God. But let me ask what may seem like an obvious question, but I want us to process this and think this through. Why is confession so important in our lives? I, it's, I think it's a super valid question and one that we should ask. Maybe we can come to the answer uh, first by saying what confession is not for. So confession is not primarily informational. So we're, we're not we're not relaying to the Lord some new knowledge that he doesn't already know. Like I think back to Genesis chapter three, uh, Adam and Eve have sinned. And the Bible tells us that the Lord came walking in the garden as as he did in those days with his people. And he asks a question. He says, where are you? 
well, that question is not informational in nature. He, he knows perfectly well where they are. The question is designed, I, I believe, to elicit a response from the people. Um, same thing with, with confession in general. When we confess to the Lord, it's not, it's not so that he now knows something that he doesn't already know. It, it, it's a forcing, it forces us to own up to what the Lord already knows. Um, maybe another good example was that, if, you know, anybody who ha has ever raised small kids knows what that's like when you, you know, you walk into a room and there's only one kid sitting there and there's crayons on, you know, markers or whatever have been written on the wall and the kid is standing there with a marker in his hand and you say something like, buddy, what did you do? Well, you know what he did. <laughs> it's, it's, it's plainly obvious what he did. But there's value in him acknowledging what he did, saying the thing to you that you already know. So back to the original question. If it's if it's not, if confession is not informational in nature, then it must be relational in nature. It's about us walking in an unhindered way with the Lord, where everything is is out on the table between us, uh, where we freely acknowledge that which God already knows. And Michael, I cannot do that in true confession. You can't do that without humility being in the mix. That I'm, a, I've got to humble myself before God. Say, God, I I blew it. Well, and the way that Daniel does this in verse five, I mean, he he is like, I, I want to be sure to cover. I want to touch all the bases here. We've sinned. We've done wrong. We've acted wickedly. We've rebelled. We turned away from your commands, and we've refused to listen to the prophets. So, I mean, <laughs> he, he's like, no, no stone un, unturned. When you come to verse seven, we're going to see that as he's confess, he's been making this confession. That he really focuses now on God, uh, his righteousness, his compassion, his forgiveness. Let me just pick up in verse 7. Uh, Daniel's prayer continues, Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but this day public shame belongs to us. The men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem, and, and all Israel, those who are near, those who are far, in all the countries where you have banished them because of the disloyalty they have shown towards you. Lord, public shame belongs to us, our kings, our leaders, and our ancestors, because we have sinned against you. Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, but we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the Lord our God by following his instructions that he set before us through his servants, the prophets. And there again, you see this contrast where he keeps talking about their rebellion, their public shame. Yet he contrasts that with the fact that, God, you are righteous, you are holy, you are forgiving. Michael, let's talk a little bit about what the term righteousness means in this context. So righteousness uh, is, it's, it's a word that appears all over the, the Bible. In fact, it, it's a word that, that almost anybody who's read the Bible is, is familiar with. And <clears throat> sadly, in our day and time, it almost has a negative connotation to it, that when you think about righteousness— the, the image that comes to mind is self-righteousness. So it's somebody that thinks of themselves as better or more moral than someone else. What righteousness really means 
is is being straight, like a, a straight line. So just like a, a line, a straight line doesn't deviate right or to the left. It's always straight. This is not a bad way to think about the righteousness of the Lord, that God is morally and ethically right. And he doesn't deviate from that pattern. He's bound by his perfect character. So when you think about the Lord's righteousness, it is an everlasting righteousness. He is who he was, who he will be. And, and what that is, is one who is always morally and ethically right. Always right. It's interesting that we have to think about this definition, Michael, uh, because you, as you said, we most typically think of self-righteousness. And it's interesting because I've been processing that just this week, thinking that through that it's hard to know what righteousness looks like because what we too often see displayed is self-righteousness. When we live under the Lordship of Christ, his righteousness comes through us. But too often, I'm afraid what they see, even in me, is that self-righteous attitude. Yes, uh, I I get that. And and I think... In, in many ways, when Christians stand and pronounce a certain way or a certain way of thinking, when they when they pronounce that to be the, the straight way and, and are uncompromising uh, in, in that, that, that one of the reactions that we often receive is, well, that's, that's pretty self-righteous on your standpoint. And that may be true. I mean, <laughs> uh, we all are to a degree, right? We all are self-righteous and, and there's all there's a level of pride in all of us that rejoices in being right in thinking that we are that we are right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the thing that we are saying is wrong. Uh, all it means is that just like Daniel here is that we have an element of, of sin in, inside of us. Um, it's probably a good thing for us to remember that when we pronounce a certain thing to be right and true, that we ought to remember that 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 thing, whatever it is, is right and true. And yet we are ourselves are not right and true. It just tempers, I think, the both the volume and the, the tone and the methodology by which we make those pronouncements. In the end, though, in a world that is increasingly convinced that there is no absolute standard of right and wrong, then anything that is pronounced to be ultimately right or ultimately wrong is going to be countered from a societal standpoint with with the claim of, well, that's that's hubris. That's self-righteousness. Who are you to say what is absolutely right and absolutely and absolutely wrong? Which, again, gets back to a word you mentioned earlier. We've already mentioned in this podcast, humility. For me to to talk about the righteous righteousness of God and talk about the righteous things of God, I have got to have a heavy dose of humility, humbling myself before God for the sake of others. The other words that are mentioned in this passage about God is that he is compassionate and that he is forgiving. And when we talk to people in, in the world that we live in, those are not always the attributes that people think of about what God is like. 
Yet the scriptures make it clear from, from, from the time of Moses and on that this is, this is the very nature, this is the very character of God, that he is compassionate and that he is forgiving. And Chris, even in those Old Testament prophecies where Daniel had been alluding to that, God, you sent your prophets, they spoke, even those prophets, when they were giving those harsh judgments, there was also with that the sense of, yet if you will return to me, I'm a compassionate God. You think about uh, Hosea 11, where just this, just the love of God just exudes out of these passages that also talk about his judgment against sin and rebellious behavior. But I am a loving, compassionate, gracious, forgiving God. And it raises the question for me, if and we know this, that God is forgiving and he's compassionate, why do we sometimes delay in talking about our sin? We, we hesitate to make that confession. Man, we do. It, it is completely illogical. Uh, for us to not do it. Because when you think about it, like if you think about what are the reasons that we might delay? Well, one is because God's going to think less of us if he finds out what I did. Or uh, God's going to uh, not receive me uh, if I come back to him. Um, or option number three is that uh, I'm either too ashamed or I'm actually too in love with my pattern of behavior to confess it. Well, the first two, the Bible clearly counters. Um, one, uh, it, it, it is, again, we're not telling the Lord anything he doesn't already know. He already, he already knows. Uh, number two, God is not only righteous, but he is compassionate and he is forgiving, and he stands ready to receive us if we will return to him. So that really leaves the reason for the delay really is about really is about us it's not about the character of god it's not about the response of god it's about us um either we are are too proud to confess or we actually don't want to confess because we really really like the the behavior or the pattern of thinking or whatever it is we really enjoy what what it is that we're in that we're engaged in i'm sorry i feel bad about this but I'll probably do it again. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, I want us to see as we wrap this up, we're going to skip down to verse 17, that as Daniel has made this confession on behalf of himself and, and the, the people, that there's a sense of we can trust God because he's compassionate and forgiving. We can trust him to respond with favor toward us. These are Daniel's words in verse 17. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and the petitions of your servants. Make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and, and see our desolation in the city that bears your name. For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. I think this is a beautiful, I think this is a, a, a beautiful set of verses because it does just what you said. It is expressing confidence in the way that the Lord is going to respond. Um, here, here, I think, is a really, really meaningful truth that will help us in our confession. Uh, it is 
that our confession is safe with God. It's safe with God. And, and God is really unique in that aspect. Uh, there'll come a time for all of us when we have to confess things to each other. We wrong somebody else. And we have to go to that person and we have to own it and say, what I did to you, what I thought about you or whatever, that was wrong and I'm sorry. But there's always an element of risk in those relationships because you don't know how that person is going to respond. They might forgive you, but they might not. Or they might conditionally forgive you and hold a grudge for days or months or even years going into the future. Um, or they might just play it off and act like it wasn't that big. You just don't know. You don't know. Because of the gospel, because of the gospel and the good news of the gospel, our confession is safe with God. We can come to him and know that he is going to act in accordance with his character and he will receive us. He will receive us back. And man, that is such, it's such a freeing thing. It's such a freeing thing for us human beings who sin every single day to know that if we take the action to actually humble ourselves before the Lord, that the Lord delights in forgiving and he delights in restoration and in as much as we want the relationship to be restored between us and the Lord, it pales in comparison to the level that he desires for that relationship to be revealed. I mean, I'm, I can't help but think here in the New Testament, I'm thinking about uh, another son who wronged his father and went off into the far country and did all manner of sinning. And he was sorry and he wanted a renewed relationship with his father. But his expectation, I think, on the way home was for a conditional kind of relationship, even though he was confessing. He had his confession all prepared. It's a beautiful picture that the Lord, that the, the father in the story jumps off the porch and runs to meet his son, that he is his level of excitement at his son coming home dwarfs mm. the level of sorrow in his son. It's a, it, it's a beautiful thing in that passage to see that the kid only gets out the first two or three words of his confession before the Bible says the, the father literally fell upon his neck uh, to receive him back. And then he's shouting orders to prepare the party. I love something Peter said in a sermon. Uh, this is in Acts 3 where he said, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I like that picture. It's what the, the prodigal son experienced, that season of refreshing, which is available for all of us as we repent. So you guys, as we've talked, you, you've painted a beautiful picture of God's grace and compassion, his forgiveness. If we confess him, to him our sins, he will... He will hear and he will forgive and cleanse, 1 John 1, 9. Um, so I, I can't help but imagine that in our groups, people are going to be talking or thinking to themselves, okay, okay, okay. So I've sinned, I've rebelled. I, I, I can tell God that. But what about this whole confessing our sins to one another part? So it, it's a great point. Um, I've always found it helpful to compare two two texts about confession and hold them in tandem with one another. So, uh, Chris, you mentioned the first John text, which is a wonderful promise um, that, that tells us uh, none of us is without sin. But if we confess our sin, the Lord is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the cleansing, the forgiving, 
That's what happens when we confess to the Lord. Then you turn to James chapter five and you get this, uh, this little verse here where the, the um, direction of the confession is not vertical, it's horizontal. And James says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. It's a different outcome. It's not forgiveness. I don't, I don't, we don't confess our sins to each other in order to be forgiven. Now, notwithstanding, if I wrong you, I confess to you and you forgive me, right? But, but just as a general principle, the forgiveness and the cleansing comes from a vertical confession because God alone can forgive sins. And yet there's something about confessing our sins to one another, our sins against God, owning that publicly to one another that brings healing. Why might that be? Well, I, I think it is because when we confess our sins to one another, another person has the privilege of, of pronouncing out loud to our face what God has already pronounced in his word. So if I were to confess some sin to you guys today that I've already confessed to the Lord, then what you can say to me is, brother, the gospel is still true. Jesus has forgiven you of that sin. Now go and be free from the guilt. Don't carry that around with you anymore. That's a real healing thing that happens to have another human being say what God has already said and let it just be a reminder to us. Confession and repentance keep us close to God. This has been a great uh, session. Michael, thank you for being with us and thanks for writing for us. And we appreciate all that you do and we appreciate the relationship that we have with you. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. To those of you who are listening to our podcast, thank you for, for being a part of this. Hope that this has been beneficial to you. And uh, we hope that you have a great week as you study God's word together. 